Finding Purpose in the Pain, One Adoptee's Journey from Heartbreak to Hope and Healing, an Audible Memoir by Pamela A. Caranova. Chapter 7, Goodbye World, Trigger Warning, Physical Assault, Violence, and Suicide. Eventually, we left the small two-bedroom Westover Road apartment. Instead, we moved to a bigger three-bedroom townhome closer to Lindell Mall. My relationship with Giovanni became my whole world, filling a massive hole in my heart from losing my birth mother. Finally, having someone I loved who said they loved me back was a fantastic feeling. Patricia forbid us from seeing one another, just like she forbid me from seeing Tasha. The more she tried to control what I did or who I hung around, the more I rebelled. She would sometimes come home and Giovanni or Tasha would be hiding in my bedroom closet. They knew how to climb in and out of my bedroom window, so we didn't sweat it. We were still going to spend time together regardless. When Thomas got wind of me dating someone black, he sat me down and had a talk with me. Back in my days, we didn't mix races, but if you're happy, I'm happy, Thomas said. And that was the end of his talk about race mixing. He didn't shame me or threaten me with hell. I could respect that times were different when he was coming up, and I appreciated his sentiments of hoping I was happy at the end of the day. About five weeks after being released from drug and alcohol rehab, I learned that I was pregnant. I shared the news with Giovanni, and we wrapped our heads around the idea that we would have a baby together. We both became excited, and then I had to break the news to Patricia. Her initial reaction was that of tears, of course, but after she overcame the initial shock, she also wrapped her head around the idea that she would have a grandbaby. Little by little, I started to buy baby items, and I stored them away in a small corner of the spare room we had in the townhouse. Deep inside, I became excited at the thought of being a mother. I would never give my baby away as my birth mother gave me away. Because I knew what that deep-rooted pain felt like, I would never inflict that on abandoning my child. As the weeks passed, I became attached to my baby and the thought of being a mother, even at the age of 15. This was something I was ready to take on. I stopped drinking alcohol and using drugs right away. No more fighting or running the streets like I was used to. Finally, I had something to look forward to. I got a job at the local Pizza Hut by the mall and would walk back and forth to work each day. At this point, high school was almost a non-factor, but I would agree to go back to Metro, but this agreement was short-lived. On a Saturday night in the summer of 1989, I learned Giovanni had gotten in a fight and he had got arrested at a bar in Czech Village on the southwest side of Cedar Rapids. It was all over the news and in the newspaper the next day. I remember being upset because I had no idea how long he would be gone, but being pregnant, it worried me. However, he was arrested after a few days appearing in court. He was released. This resulted in him being put on probation, and he would turn himself in to a probation officer every month. If he did anything else to break the law, he would be sent away for at least three years, if not five. While our relationship seemed to get stronger because we were going to start a family together, Giovanni's temper and rage only increased as time passed. He became paranoid and would accuse me of things I didn't do, which resulted in frequent physical attacks that I just took. I never fought him back because I knew it would not end well. One Friday evening, when I was around 12 weeks pregnant, he accused me of messing around with someone he knew. However, I denied it because it wasn't true. He drew his fist back and punched me in the chest as hard as he could. I remember falling back, losing consciousness for a short time and gasping for air, but he knocked the wind out of me. 
As soon as I thought he might have some sympathy for me, he choked me, making me admit to talking to the guy. But again, I didn't admit it because it wasn't true. I started to cry, and after a few minutes, he started to apologize for what he had done. Then he started to get emotional, telling me how much he loved me and that he would, it would break his heart if I were ever with someone else. Then he stopped with the paranoid accusations and started to get sympathetic. I was in pain because the chest blow completely knocked me out for a short time. I had red marks around my neck from him choking me. After he spent some time apologizing, telling me how much he loved me, I turned the page and acted as, as if these events didn't even happen. But he said he loved me and he stayed, which trumped all the emotional and physical abuse he inflicted on me. The following week after these events, at 15 weeks, I started spotting and my chest continued to hurt beyond my ability to handle the pain. Finally, I found myself in the emergency room with Patricia, where the nurses and doctors asked me what happened to cause the chest injury. I covered for Giovanni at all costs because only a snitch would tell the truth of what happened. So I told them I got in a fight a few days earlier, and that was all I said. <clears throat> they did some x-rays and learned I had a paresthesial contusion of my chest bone from Giovanni punching me. They also did some tests and learned that my spotting was from me miscarrying the baby. I asked Pat Patricia to please reach out to Giovanni at the hospital so he could be with me. Not long after I asked Patricia for a few minutes of privacy, Giovanni entered the hospital room where I was all alone. He hugged me and told me he loved me and he would be outside waiting for me. Soon a doctor came in asking Giovanni to have a seat in the waiting room and he performed a DNC, ultimately removing the baby's remains from the womb. I remember becoming deeply sad and in tears and I hated that experience to the core of my being. Giovanni never, never said he was sorry, and I never connected the dots at the time that there was a very significant chance that his actions of physical abuse could have very well caused the miscarriage. I think that reality was too much for me to bear on top of losing the baby. So I tucked it away and acted like it didn't exist. It was my secret, and I never told anyone close to me either. Besides, I was scared to lose Giovanni. He was my whole world. The miscarriage triggered some emotions in me that heightened more feelings about my birth mother. I remember a sadness that set in like never before. I would think of her. Was this how she felt when she lost me to adoption? Was she sorrowful? No one talked to me about the grieving and the loss that I would feel after I lost the baby to a miscarriage, yet I was expected to move on and never think about them again. Is this what my birth mother was told when she gave me up for adoption? Thoughts of her plagued my mind, as well as thoughts of the baby I would have given birth to less than six months away. The days and weeks followed the miscarriage became a blur to me. My sad sadness spiraled out of control. I was heavy-hearted and grieving like I never imagined. I had noticed a distance between Giovanni and I, but it was more of a time distance on his part. We didn't spend as much time together or see one another as much after I lost the baby, but then... I would learn that Giovanni was seeing someone else and finding this news out crushed me. I also learned he had slept with Tasha, who was my closest friend at the time. So I confronted him only for him to completely deny the accusations. While we tapered off from seeing one another like we originally had, my alone time increased because now not only did I lose the baby, but I felt like Giovanni was slipping from my grasp. My friendship with Tasha was over because she told me it was true. She slept with Giovanni. I was brokenhearted and I couldn't seem to shake it. I dreamed of my birth mother daily, sometimes hourly. I wish she were close. I wish she kn I knew where she was. She would make this all better. But the painful reality was that she was nowhere around. 
just a few months before my 16th birthday, I decided I wanted to end my life. I didn't have the energy to write a note. I didn't have the strength to ask for help. I didn't have anyone to talk to. So I went to Patricia's room, grabbed a handful of her pills from her nightstand, and I laid back in my bed. This was one of the darkest times of my life. Why did I decide to share this piece of my story? Because at 47 years old, I genuinely believe the separation trauma from the loss of my birth mother impacted every area of my life. As long as therapists, counselors, adoptive parents, and others want to sweep this reality under the rug, adoptees will continue to be negatively impacted, as I have been and so many of my fellow adoptees. The abandonment I've felt my whole life has run deep to the core, and I believe I felt it in my subconscious memory and in every fiber of my being. I believe that every decision I made growing up was a reflection of this trauma. I don't have a fluffy adoption story that everyone wants to hear. I have a real story, and I want people to understand how abandonment and separation trauma from our biological mothers can impact us long term. I always share that I'm not into dishing out feel-good juice. I'm dishing out the truth. I promised myself that I would always be true to myself and walk in my truth, even when it might be uncomfortable for others. So this is why I'm sharing my truth. This is not only for me, but so my fellow adoptees know they aren't alone in feeling how they feel. They need to know they aren't crazy. What's crazy is removing babies from their mothers, expecting them to not have lifelong consequences. Adoptees are dying from the pain. If we want to make changes within the adoption arena, we have to stop softening our realities. My audible memoir is my adoptee reality. I will never forget taking all the pills, swallowing five at a time with big gulps of water, taking at least 30 pills, if not more, hoping I could finally go to sleep and never wake up again. This was because the pain I felt was too great and too much to feel. Finally, I truly felt like I had nothing to live for, so I took the pills and nodded off to sleep. Goodbye, world, were some of my last thoughts. I rocked myself to sleep all alone, as I usually did. Something about rocking made me feel close to my birth mother, and that's all I wanted to be, was close to her in my last moments of life. I always wondered if she sat in a rocking chair pregnant with me. During my last thoughts, I pondered with deep heartbreaking sadness and tears streaming down my face, soaking my pillow, that I would never get to look in the face of the woman I had dreamed of my whole life, my birth mother. The views and opinions expressed in this article, memoir, and podcast are that of the author, Pamela A. Caranova. Reproduction of the material contained in this publication may be made only with the written permission of Pamela A. Caranova.